In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Please be seated. Jesus is fairer. Jesus is purer. Who makes the woeful heart to sing. When I was a kid, there was a time when um, the rector's wife would take all the little bitty people out, I guess to escape the sermon. And we would have children's chapel instead. And we, um, she played the piano. I guess maybe she didn't know that many hymns, or we certainly didn't know many hymns, but this was one of them. And I can still remember Miss Helen with her pillbox hat and little veil playing the piano and scowling at us when we did not sing. Jesus is fairer. Jesus is purer. Who makes the woeful heart to sing. A reading from the book of Joel. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Yet even now, says the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Jesus is fairer. Jesus is purer. Who makes the woeful heart to sing. In one paragraph in the, God, in the book of Joel, you have two apparently, seemingly different ideas. The day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Be scared. Be very afraid. And you hear that preached a lot in the church. Be scared. Be afraid. My absolute all-time very least favorite song that we sing at Christmas, a children's song, no less. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. And then apparently a different path. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. 
So, what's a preacher to do? Which of those paths should I lead us down? I will lead us down the path that relies on the mercy of God. And I will do that every time. I'm going to tell you a story. Some of you have already heard it. I'll make it a little shorter so it's not too much of an imposition. It's one of my favorite stories. And it's mostly true. The morning after my brother and the kids in the neighborhood and I blew up Mr. Florian's mailbox with two M80s, M80s like a super duper firecracker, that completely destroyed his mailbox and the mail therein. The next morning, I made myself walk across the street up onto his little stoop, and I almost rang the doorbell. But I chickened out. Two of the kids down the road had an uncle that gave them all kinds of odd things, and he gave them a bag of M80s. We had been terrorizing the neighborhood for about a week. It's in the middle of summer. We'd blown up all kinds of things. We'd, an M80 would go off even underwater. We lived next to a creek. It did go off underwater. Very satisfying. We buried it in dirt. It blew up the dirt. That was great. We duct taped it to an army man. You know how little boys have army men? And this was the guy with the bazooka. And he was horribly and wonderfully disfigured. We thought that was great. One of the guys wanted to blow up something so that it blew the top off. And so we stuck an M80 in our garbage can, not the plastic ones that you roll to the street, but an old aluminum or tin can. And it went boom. That was very disappointing. I grew up next to a Civil War battleground. We rode our bikes out and put M80s in the cannons and imagined what it must have been like. And finally, we just had two left, just two. We thought about putting both of them in that same garbage can and, and lighting them together. But we were afraid that it would be disappointing again. And somebody suggested, I hope somebody else suggested, that we should maybe uh, open a mailbox Johnny, my next-door neighbor, said that that was a violation of federal law, but we ignored him and called him a sissy. <laughs> and so we worked it out so that everybody had a part. My part was to open the door and then close it. My brother's part was to light the fuse. The two guys whose uncle had given them the explosives threw their things in there at the same time. And when we did all that, I opened the door and saw that there was some paper inside, but it was too late because my brother was already lighting the fuses. He, we threw the M80s in the mailbox, closed the door, stepped back a couple steps. There was a huge roar. And the mailbox, not only was the door open, but the side had come up and it was all twisted around and there was paper floating down from the sky. Some of it was on fire. 
And we did what every self-respecting boy has done all through history. We ran for it. And my brother started telling me right then, they can't pin this on us. Nobody saw us do this. They can't prove a thing. He's about four years older than me, and I kind of, whatever he wanted to do was what I did. He invented this elaborate story about how we told our mom we were going down into the woods and we'd been gone all day. It wouldn't be uncharacteristic for mom to not remember something that her sons had said, and so we thought that was as good an alibi as we could come up with. My dad came home and saw the destroyed mailbox. He saw Mr. Florian examining the mailbox and came and talked to his two sons, and we denied it. My brother did all the talking. We were down in the woods. It wasn't us. Dad knew the whole time. My brother suggested maybe it was lightning. Middle of the summer, not a cloud all day. It was one of those miraculous lightning bolts that you hear about. Dad said that we would just stay in our room while the rest of the family ate supper and then came back and gave us one more chance. My brother the whole time saying, they can't prove a thing. They can't pin this on us. The next morning, I told my brother I was going to go apologize to Mr. Florian. And my brother said, you'll get me in trouble. I said, I won't mention your name. And I went across the street and almost rang the doorbell. And then I heard that whispering voice, they can't prove a thing. You can get away with this. So I started walking back to our house across the street, filled with people that I loved, who I'd been lying to and hiding from. And I turned around and ran up to Mr. Florian's stoop, and before I could talk myself, myself out of it, the doorbells are right here, and I rang the doorbell. Mr. Florian came to the door, big, tall, skinny man with white crew cut. And he looked down at me and said, what? I said, Mr. Florian, I, I blew up your mailbox. And he said, I know. And I thought that would be the end of the conversation, not said everything I was going to say. And <laughs> it didn't look like he had anything else to say. But he opened the door, the screen door, and reached down and kind of tousled my buzz haircut head and said, you're a good kid. I think that's the point of Ash Wednesday and Lent. I think that's what the church has been doing for all of these centuries, is realizing that we need to go across the street and ring the doorbell. 
not so that we can inform God what we've done. I'm, I'm sure and I believe and I trust that God will look down upon us in mercy and whatever we say we've done, he'll say, I know. And I also believe in the mercy of God and through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God reaches down and tussles our head and says, you're, you're a good kid. You're a good kid. It doesn't, it's not like we're keeping score. It's not like we've segregated the felony offenses from the miscellaneous other smaller offenses. As we sin, which we do all the time, we separate ourselves so that in our dark hearts we think that we've taken ourselves away from the love of God. And when we let it sit and grow and get infected, it gets big and angry. I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody who believes that whatever she's done or he's done is so bad that God does not love me anymore. And I try pastorally and patiently and lovingly to say that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That God does not love you anymore. Have you done something so bad that your mother will say, I don't love that kid anymore? Well, your mom might be mad, might be hurt. I'm sure I've given my mother and my Lord plenty of chances to say that's it for that guy. He's used up his quota. But I think there's no limit to how much a good mother loves her children. And I think that God loves us more than our mamas. I invite you, therefore, to the observance of a holy Lent. Ashes on the forehead is part of that, a good start. But more than that, for this season, looking toward building up to Good Friday and Easter beyond, to be aware of those burdens you carry that you need to let go of that separate you from the love of God, not by God's choice, but by yours, by mine. I invite you to go over there and ring the doorbell and present yourself broken and sinful. And I am sure, following the path of mercy, which is our only hope, that God in his infinite compassion looks down and says, I know. 
You're a good kid. And so we receive the gift we have been given on the cross, the gift we have been given in the empty tomb, the gift we have been given in the coming of the Holy Spirit, the gift we have been given as we present ourselves into the love and service of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.